Welcome back to Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife Extra. I'm here today with the glorious, the handsome Robert Valentine. Hello, Rob. Oh, you, you tease. Oh, you're good. Hello. Good afternoon. Good morning. Whenever you're listening to this, is the time it's it's set. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Hello, Joe. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well. Thank you very much. I'm in dressing gown because it's very cold right now. We didn't have any snow, but it is bloody freezing in Eastbourne. It's it's cold. It's cold in darkest Surrey as well. It's. Uh, have you had snow? Oh yeah, yeah. We we had we, we we had a big old blanket of it. It's all gone now. The the drizzle, then the then the rain took care of it. But we did have like uh yeah a little bit of uh what what do they say about March uh, in like a lion out like a lamb? So we had a little bit of lion just to just to remind us that winter's not quite over yet, really. But okay. uh, yeah. We're still still all too fucking scared to put our heating on, though, aren't we? In fear of the builders. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Just layers. You're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. And I will just say before we go into talking about what we're going to talk about today, I can say you may cough into your hand, you know, embarrassed uh, in a very English sort of way, but I can say with some degree of certainty, you are a handsome man because since the last time we recorded, I met you in the flesh. Oh yeah, we we met up. Um... <laughs> At the Fitzroy Tavern. That's right, wasn't it? Yes, yes, we did. Yeah, gathered many people together to meet Nathan Bottomley from Flight for Entirety, and had a gay old day of it. Yeah, it was. It was, it was great. The chance to meet Nathan, especially, and knowing it was like that. You know, it was like it was like now or not, not never, but it could be years, <laughs> could be years. You know, it's gonna be. So yeah, it was. That was a that was a great off. Thanks very much for inviting oh, me along. Yeah, it was very very lovely to meet you. Um, Rob, we are here today to talk about a television show that you have chosen. I'm going to come in with a question immediately because you, the premise of this thing is for um, existent hamster members to come along and talk about a show that isn't Doctor Who related. You could have chosen any television show in the entirety of the history of television. And you chose Jim Henson's The Storyteller. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. This is um, a TV show I loved um, uh, on broadcast. That was when I got to see it. So that would have been, I think, 87, 88. So around then. Around the time, the same time I was kind of watching Doctor Who. But um, this... Um, you know, in, this this is this is quality. This is this is <laughs> on a different level. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Forget yeah. that Doctor Who rubbish. This is this is really really great television. Um, yeah, this was one of the kind of the really kind of formative things for me. It was kind of, it was um, obviously I, I saw Labyrinth at the cinema in 1986, and um, was obviously a big Muppet fan, and. Um, as long as you can hear me, you're fine. Because I don't know what my video's doing. It's... <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Go on. Oh, I was, was going to say, close there one eye or you might get um, epilepsy or something. Get I'm getting pretty good at editing these things now, you know, because I managed I... to cut that entire section of the Shalder one where you uh, told me that you couldn't, in fact, see what was on the screen for the first three episodes. I didn't want to ruin your flow, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You're too polite. <laughs> but yeah, so... um. Can I ask so Jim, you, oh, yeah, go for it. What, 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 why this? Because this is a really niche choice. It wasn't niche to me at seven or eight. It was just a, a wonderful live action 
series of um of fairy tales i mean i've you know growing up i i, just, I love stories of all kinds but I was very very big on on fairy tales and this was just so rich so evocative and you know, I mean, it's, it's jim henson's the storyteller so obviously it's full of jim henson creature workshop puppetry um in the same way that um the sopranos um you could kind of say is like goodfellas the tv series mm. there's a very strong argument to say that uh the storyteller is kind of like labyrinth the tv series um so the, all the stories they're all uh fairy tales and some of the more obscure ones so folk tales from uh europe and from russia some some english british um but a lot, a lot of them from germany grimm's more of the more obscure grimm's tales um the storyteller is played by the great john hurt so there is it's a doctor who connection Mm-hmm. retrospectively um and uh, he has a dog and his dog is a jim henson puppet voiced and operated by uh, brian henson who was also the voice of hoggle in labyrinth so immediately it has that uh that very direct labyrinth flavor to it um and just and all the stories are just phenomenal um, with just incredible, incredible casts of some of the, the greatest actors um, available at the time. And that these are just wonderfully written by, the again, the late, great Anthony Minghella, um, who was the, you know... Um, uh, you know, writer and director of the English Patient, amongst you know, and the, and, uh, the talented Mr. Ripley, amongst many other things. Um, and he and uh, Jim Henson both gone far too soon. They both died far too young. But um, it's, this is just a, a brilliantly produced, brilliantly conceived, wonderfully written, phenomenally acted, and so so magical uh, 1980s piece of television. Uh, and it was also, for me personally, it was just very very formative um this had just a big influence on me and uh my kind of i don't know just love of stories storytelling folklore fairy tale uh and it's, it's, it's all part of the same fabric for me as labyrinth and terry gilliam's uh the adventures of baron munchausen eric the viking uh you know the bbc's lion the witch in the wardrobe and all that kind of stuff so yeah for me, um, this is a, was a really, really obvious thing to suggest because it just feels like a you know something that was key for me, really. So you've brought up about twenty five talking points there. I don't know where to start. <laughs> what I want to start with is you said this is almost like a natural successor on television to the Labyrinth. Yeah, I think this is a lot darker than the Labyrinth. Or parts of this are bloody sinister i'll say oh yeah because I'm yeah. watching this my other half you watched it so he had the dvd on the shelf so when i said i was doing it he went oh i'll go and get it we'll watch it all now oh, i'm so glad i'm so glad i'm so glad and he said it absolutely terrified him as a kid some of the imagery and like um we're, we're gonna do two commentaries today and there's two particular bits which we'll talk about when we do the commentaries um death in the soldier of death and that bloody creature under the sea and in the water in Theonaut with the light. Yes, yeah. Like I, I seem to remember many times doing hamster commentaries talking about sometimes, you know, is Doctor Who a little bit inappropriate for children? And then I always would go, <clears throat> actually, do you know what? You go back to those Grimm's fairy tales, 
that we all read when we were were young, and I did too. I had a, a book of Grimm's Story, and I had a sort of illustrated book. They were really dark and really scary. Folk tales are. Folk tales aren't just for children. They're cautionary tales to to inform you about the world and warn you about the world. Um, you know, um, it's it's just you know in the twentieth century, so the Victorians, um, and then Walt Disney uh, sort of uh, tidied it up and uh, made it kind of you know pink and pastel and palatable and all that stuff but uh, no these are pro- proper kind of authentically dark um little bits of you know deep deep dark memory really how old would you have been watching this yes uh, seven and eight because they, there were two series so that's and i don't really recall them ever being repeated so when you said you'd never heard of it I was not surprised because this was really, I think, um, one of those things where you either caught it at the time or you never even heard of it. This is very much one of those things. There's been a recent repeat on like HBO have put them out. Oh, cool. And that's the only repeats they've ever had. Which for television, and I would call this prestige television, like when when I was watching these episodes, the visual palette of it, I was astonished it was made when it was made. And I, I kept going, how the hell did they do that? Like, that's me looking through the eyes of a modern TV viewer now, you know, looking back at special effects from the late 80s. Yes, yes, yeah. Going, how the hell? Like, some of it, some of it's obvious, like the CSO and things like that. Um, but even with the CSO, the, the technical ambition and, and the way the stories are told visually using CSO. For example, you've got the storyteller telling the stories, but the way you intercut between the story being told and the storyteller telling it, there's a huge amount of visual overlap. Like mm-hmm. you might have, you know, um, uh, either the soldier or in the next one we'll do after fear not like walking along the country lane. And then the country lane is in the fireplace of the storyteller and things like that. So it's hugely creative. Or fear not turning up on the rim of the dog's bowl. And that's the water. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's just incredibly inventive. There's that there's that moment in um I think I made a couple of dot two parallels, but only because I want to show just how inventive this is compared to the realization of Doctor Who. In Inferno, where the Primord goes to hit the man and then it cuts to someone bashing a nail into a wall to make the inference that that man's skull has just been bashed in. Well, that that happens once or twice in the run of Doctor Who and everyone lords it as being this incredible, you know, directional flourish. <laughs> that happens about 15 times per episode in the storyteller, but in such inventive ways. Oh, yeah, but then again, this is um, a, you know, a single camera and for TV, quite, you know, quite a cinematic approach. I mean, the first episode we'll discuss is directed by Jim Henson himself, who was obviously a film director. Uh, and uh, then the second episode is directed by... Um, uh, oh, did I write his name down? It's directed by... You can cut this slightly so it sounds like I've done my homework. <laughs> it's not common if I don't, know. Oh, you get... Anyway, okay, fine. Um... Um, the director for the second one, and we'll be reminded when we actually watch the commentary. He, um, also he, he, he was a hugely experienced director, and he directed the the music videos for um, when the world when the world falls down and uh, uh, magic dance. So he did the he did the the the, 
the Bowie music videos for that. So we're, we're talking, we're not talking sort of, um, we discussed it with, with Sharda how I don't really pay attention to the directors with Doctor Who. I wanted to bring this up. I, I absolutely wanted to bring this up because you said that, yeah, you don't really. Yeah, because I, I think, well, it's all, it's all studio based stuff you know i so don't really care because I'm, I'm a movie person and i you know i, I you know so I, these I, are mini movies aren't they they are they are it's, this is this, this it's television know, as done like a movie yes exactly so yeah so and so I, i'm it's sort of direction is something i pay very very close attention to and until i, I but I, I, cle- I, I clearly deliberately flick a switch in my brain when i sit down to watch classic who last <laughs> thing well it's, it's studio stuff you know Just what, 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 what are you gonna do time. yeah 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 it's close Bear to in mind, we're shot yeah. we were watching a pen at robert's story you know like that's probably a safe thing to do to switch your brain off and just enjoy it yeah the, the, i kind of think of doctor who more as kind of you know it's it's a theater production with multiple cam cameras involved Except sometimes, sometimes the direction can be brilliant. But the other thing is, as I've t- said before, I don't actually watch Doctor Who very often. You know, it's not you know, it, it, you know. So on a visual level, it's I don't. Astonishing, given the work that you do, you know. Yeah, but but yeah, but watching things and writing things—they're they're two different jobs. <laughs> it's, yeah, but like this, the storyteller is every shot is crafted. You know, and yes, yeah. many shows coming out of the that time period where you just feel like this much care has been lavished on how something looks. I, I'd say even now, I mean, now we have better, um, you know, we have HD and, you know, stuff, you know, all stuff is shot on 35 mil or whatever, but the visual imagination in this is, can't be, I, 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 it's, it's rarely beaten, I think, anywhere. I can't really think off the top of my head. Sort of impressive sets, fantastic music I, I felt like the, the lighting was on point but what, what what i thought was so impressive was the sort of um it it forgoes all of that garish ugliness that came out of the mid to late 80s and it's just got this beautiful visual palette every single shot is is stunning to look at it could be like a painting yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah it's uh, the production design is gorgeous on it and we'll come to it as we go along because once through these episodes the the sets are gorgeous but they're also um reused very very cleverly as well so that's something to kind of we can pay attention to as we go or just redressed with a lot of skill yeah yeah or, or even yeah but, but in a kind of way that's kind of you know it doesn't even matter if you notice because it's it's the story within the story so yeah but we'll I'll, yeah we, we can kind of point stuff out as we go with it can i ask then has how these stories are structured and i feel like the series would lose so much if you didn't have uh the storyteller and what's the dog's name the dog, yeah, he's just going to throw his dog. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't have their interactions, if it was just the stories being told, it it would lose like an awful lot. Has any of this style of storytelling, because like the the economy of what you can do with someone narrating a tale means that you can tell a story over someone's entire life in twenty minutes. Has any of this influenced your own writing? Oh yeah, massively, massively. Um, just also, just the um, the uh, the you know, having characters tell stories is inherently fascinating. Um, you know, so characters within fiction telling stories, and also what's very important is the dog character, because the dog is 
kind of the audience's stand-in. You know, the, the dog has questions. The dog has opinions. Um, the dog sees the story being told out of the corner of its eye. You know, the you know the the actual in-story elements. So the um the, the kind of the veil between the world of the story being told and the world of the story being told in is very very porous. So um story elements can leak out both ways. And, uh, yeah. and he, he points out all the inconsistencies in the storytelling. I'm like that is literally me watching a Doctor Who story. Oh yeah yeah exactly but, but that's another good little trick actually is that um you know if you do have any kind of uh inconsistencies either in logic or character motivation anything like that all you have to do is have a character within your story acknowledge it what's that called and hang then... a lantern on it or something oh yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> hang a lampshade is the phrase but it's uh, <sighs> but it makes good sense because people people in real life um they say what's the difference between um fiction and real life and uh it's that fiction has to make sense um yeah <laughs> but if you can yeah, if, yeah 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 exactly exactly so if you can just have col- uh, characters acknowledging that there's something a little bit off in the logic here you know so la vie you know so suddenly it, it works there was one you know where the dog fell asleep i said i thought i think this is a great endorsement <laughs> of the story that's being told you know um there's two series isn't there there are two series. My favourite is the first one. The first one is um, all it's European folk tales with John Hurt as the storyteller in lots of big ear, prophet, big ears, big nose, old man makeup, telling it to the dog. Uh, the second series is shorter, and it's the Greek myths, and it's Michael Gambon in a toga, oh wandering God. wandering the ruins of the labyrinth. Where Theseus wow. faced the Minotaur with the dog. With the, the dog's the same though, so the dog is the continuity, and that's a really good series. Um, but it it just slightly lacks that magic of the first one. Partly because I like fairy tales more, even more than Greek myths. Um, is that true? I don't know. But anyway, for some reason, it just works better. However, um, uh, the, the first two stories of um, the second series they're interlinked, and uh, it's, it has Derek Jacobi playing um uh icarus no no daedalus daedalus um his dad and uh yeah and he is brilliant and it's really good but um it just feels slightly smaller scale than the first series and very cozy about a story being told by a fire isn't there oh yeah absolutely in fact before we go into it um each episode begins with john hurt saying and i think it's just worth saying here because it's just you know there's a, there's an ethos to this a bouquet which um i just <laughs> it just really appeals to me he says um yeah when people told themselves their past with stories explained their present with stories foretold the future with stories the best place by the fire was kept for the storyteller i could have done that better but the sentiment is there you know it's all about the the power and the importance and the function of storytelling we are a storytelling species and uh, telling stories to ourselves about ourselves and the world is what makes us human really it's, it it is the thing that separates us you know or uh tv show a short-lived tv show um i think it was axed was it just very expensive to make i think it was hugely expensive to make yes Um, but also i think um, jim henson's attention was divided between that and his film work so um you know he was a he was a busy busy guy um 
but for such a short lived but like really impressive tv show there's so little out so i went online to try and find any information about this show any behind the scenes information i found a wikipedia page i found an article on we are cult about the soldier and death and i found a 10 impressive facts about the storyteller and that was it yeah, well, to be honest, you know, what, what, what more is there to tell beyond the, the, the I just TV thought, show I think itself? It's like a review, reviews of it, or or like YouTube reviews of it. I even went on YouTube to find like behind the scenes information. There was two things. There was like a a tiny three minute behind the scenes thing uh, featuring like the production crew. Yeah. Uh, but not really giving you any information. And the best thing I found, it was on, uh, it's the, the show in the 80s with Sarah Green. Was it Swap Shop? Something like that. And um, is it Brian Henson, the dog? That's right, yes. He's on there with the dog puppet and he's giving an interview as the dog and then the camera pulls back and it's him. And then she's talking to him about how he sort of masters the puppet, but the puppet's still moving in his hands like a dog. But that's all I can find. I, mean, I, I just found that was that was pretty astonishing. Yeah, I found it. It was kind yeah, of studied in a little bit of depth. It was never repeated, and I don't think, and there was there wasn't enough of it. I think to really generate a huge amount of nostalgia for it. For example, um, I mean, I mean, the quality's there, but um, I I just don't you know really think it kind of um, stayed in the in the popular memory in any great way it certainly wasn't helped by not never being repeated and i think for a long time because i think i was looking for it you know or hoping that it would be on dvd um quite some time before it finally emerged i think i think it's just a, a an accident of um of maybe bad timing if it had come out at a different time might have been different who can say who can say um and john hurt we've got to talk about john hurt because oh, I, God, think, yeah, yeah. I think he's instrumental in this show's success, but I don't think that's an easy task to do, you know, to just be like doing all these segues and narration, starting and ending these stories, but doing it with so much charm and so much humour. I, I just came away. I already thought John Hurt was a great actor. I came away from that saying, is that? the best acting i've seen you do like oh yeah yeah well he's he's one he's wonderful in it and he's and and he's clearly having a wonderful time um i got to say, say that you know that, telling that stories I, I dug up that he wanted to do more i can i, I yeah i can imagine they yeah a second a second series with maybe that's another thing that the second series they switched but i think a, a second series might have meant there was enough to uh, to warrant more repeats because it's just it's, it's a really one shot and what it's a one and done series but no he's fantastic in it he's clearly having a wonderful time and also i remember from uh, cuz there's lots of material about uh, about labyrinth both david bowie and uh, jessica connolly um uh, took them a while. They had a hard time interacting with the puppets, but uh, John Hurt's got no problem at all uh, with the dog. And to be honest, all all the actors in it do a wonderful job. But to be honest, they're all they're all proper bloody good British theatre actors, and uh, that's 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 theatre. Yeah. Do you know how long Jim Henson had been at this game at this point? Because the puppetry in this was very sophisticated yeah well he this was 87 88 um obviously he 
been developing them he'd done the muppets since what the late 60s early 70s then the the uh the dark crystal he was he worked on for four years and during the production of the dark crystal he obviously created yoda um he was too busy to play yoda so frank he so frank oz stepped in because originally he was going to be voiced by jim henson um and then obviously um to do labyrinth which was unlike the dark crystal it was um actors interacting with puppets in a fairy tale sitting uh, setting so you know um so goblins fairies and various other creatures and that so that was kind of and again that was several years in the development because it had to be so i think you know they were so that's uh you know so he'd, he'd done the dark crystal by that point he'd done labyrinth obviously he'd done the muppets but um really it was all the technology and know-how uh, from yeah, from really come from from post labyrinth that kind of then gets fed into the storyteller. I think with the advent of CGI, uh, one of the unfortunate consequences is we don't see half as many puppets as we used to. It's 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 I'd say it's a, almost a lost art. But then um, I was kind of really pleased that um, Netflix did um, the Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance, which mm-hmm. I enjoyed. But um, you know, it's but doing, but they wouldn't have. They probably they probably wouldn't have risked the the investment on a on original property. But then again, I think Labyrinth was Labyrinth uh, theatrically in the cinema yeah. was a flop, didn't it? Yeah, it, it got it got big on VHS and you know afterwards um, home rentals. But its failure really kind of knocked Henderson a lot. Um, that's my understanding, and uh, so I kind of think the failure of labyrinth dented him quite a bit and uh there were kind of you know just i think in terms of morale it was a bit of a uh, bit of a, a, a you know it had an effect on his career and his endeavors but the man was a, a genius and uh yeah and just so to my little to my little seven-year-old head this was just the the the, the best thing ever it was you know the kind of stuff you could you imagine made flesh literally it's really happening in camera and there is a weird sort of nightmarish dream feel about all of this, isn't there? It's, oh yeah, because fairy tales. Hallucinogenic. <laughs> yeah, fairy tales are terrifying. Those the woods out there are dark, and the mountains are cold and full of witches. So you know, beware, children. Oh, I love as well. It's not played by none of the rules that I'm used to in television as well. You know, it can kind of do its own thing. So I, I, with every story, I didn't know where it was going because I'm like, oh, I, I, I kind of get what a fairy tale is and there's a moral to this but you know i i, I literally i could not predict any not a single episode that was a half enjoyed. yeah yeah one thing i love about them as well about and about the old fairy tales and these adaptations is that um you know you can have you can have your happy ending but that really is the decision of where to end the story and a lot of these go and that's the happy ending but we'll carry on with it and find out what happened later I mean, one thing I love about fairy tales is obviously it it varies between uh, culture to culture, but obviously you can tell an awful lot about a culture by how they begin their fairy tales because they're they're all you know all these folk tales you know they're different from village to village. But in uh, in, in we grew up with you and I would have grown up with them, um, and they all lived happily ever after. Yeah, and that and that's yeah. But um, if you go to Russia, um, they end you know. And they all lived happily ever after and died on the same day. Oh no. Yeah, Is that yeah. True? Yeah, yeah. 
this you know there's there's not one fixed version of all these but all these all these cultural differences come out in the in the in the very just in the in, in the in the differences in these otherwise very familiar things so it can t- it just tells you it tells you where people's heads are at and what's yeah. truly important we were fed all these stories when we were younger and then they all ended with and they all lived happily ever after after is why we're also bloody disappointed as we get older yeah because um you know, <laughs> one thing one thing happy you know, ending yeah yeah well yeah because it doesn't because it does it only ends when you're dead and you know and the best you can hope for is not to lose those you love by long and that's that's the that is the wisdom of and they died on the same day because it's it's acknowledge it's acknowledging a truth about life death and loss that um our culture where we just live happily ever after doesn't pay doesn't like to pay attention to and it's it's those, it's those differences and that kind of stories are there to prepare you for pain <laughs> that, that's kind of become my conclusion um the older i've got is that stories are, are essentially there to give you the equipment to deal with the fact that life is essentially dreadful i think sorry when we watched soldier and uh, death back uh when you said that you wanted to do this hamster extra two things sprung to mind one was that weird baby death which is fucking chilling yeah yeah absolutely terrified him as a kid and second was that that was the first time he can recall thinking about death as a concept as a child yeah it's funny because my, my introductions to john hurt were the storyteller um watership down the cartoon and that got me you know as a kid that got me thinking about death your parents didn't like you very much did they no. <laughs> and um the the AIDS public information film with the iceberg, John Hurt again. So, so John you, John Hurt, not a comforting light. presence. Yeah, you sorry. As a child, yeah, but you know, nothing. Yeah, every, everything's terrifying as a kid, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it's just like yeah, growing up, John Hurt was um, kind of the voice of doom in many ways. I was a bit of a wimpy kid, you know. Oh, I'm not sure if I'll be, I would have been able to hack this as a child. But what Mark said to me earlier today was, he said that's why the dog was so comforting as a child. It always exactly, <laughs> yeah. And then you cut back to the dog, and he would just be sort of calm again and and laughing, and always oh, a silly dog, you know, by the fire. And the yeah 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 and the other thing I love about the dog is the anachronistic American accent. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that to me that really helps because it kind of, you know because um, also helps that it's you know it's it's Brian Henson's voice it's you know it's, it sounds like Hoggle you know and the rest of it but um, yeah he kind of gives it that kind of um, that more that American tinged feel, which as an eighties kid, I don't know if that's, if it's lasted, but as a kid in the eighties, in my head, America was where you went when you died. America was where it was at. So, you know, American accents were kind of, you know, kind of like the blessing that this was okay somehow. It has Rob, because I was at a friend's house the other day and she's playing about with those little LOL dolls that they've got these days. And she's doing it all in an American accent. She's an English child and she's going, you know, hey, come in, come in my jacuzzi in my car and all this. I'm like, Why is she talking in an American accent? She goes, that's because that's all the TV she watches. It's all. Yeah, actually, I've got, I've got American friends whose uh, who's children watch Peppa Pig. <laughs> <laughs> George, George. Yeah, so yeah. They, yeah. I have got two more questions for you. Oh yeah, go for it. Go for it. 
And I then would like you to list the episodes that we are going to do comments. Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, my first question is this. Uh, the amount of impressive guest stars that turn up in the storyteller, I couldn't believe it. Jonathan Price, Miranda Richardson. Like oh, the <laughs> French and Saunders. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They made me, of course, they were playing like the Wicked Sisters, weren't they? Of course. Yeah, they have to. They have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sean Bean turns up. Oh, um, looking absolutely resplendent, may I say. About, you know, um, yeah, around, uh, yeah. I, I started a sharp rewatch not too long ago. And my mid 90s, he was. He was it was a look, wasn't it? It was, it was beautiful. Yeah. 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 Do I see Sean Pertwee in there as well? Maybe I want to say Jolly Richardson, but you know, as we get if we get to those, we'll get to those. But um, my question yeah. was though, is uh, what's like your favourite turn in this? Who do you, who do you think gives the most impressive turn? Mm. Oh, that's a that's that's a that's a tricky one. Um, I, I maybe I want to for future episodes. I want to keep my powder dry about, which is my favourite episode, because um, that's still to come. But um, I think Reese Dinsdale actually in uh, in Fear Not's rather wonderful, but then again, so is Bob Peck. Miranda is Richardson Dinsdale, in... is he? Is he Fear Not? He's Fear Not. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. He's so charming, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. He, <laughs> no, he, he really is. Um, but then again, Miranda Richardson is wonderful and terrifying in this. Um, I've been in love with her all my life, but that's just that's you know, apropos of nothing. I've been even in love when with she was, even when she was Queenie in Blackadder. Especially when she's cleaning up, <laughs> yeah. I think she's just amazing. I think she's, I think she's wonderful. If you but, don't uh, do what I want, I'm going to chop your head off. <laughs> <gasps> got such a crush on her, yeah. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, well, I mean, but we've made the point, haven't we? That, that, that this is prestige casting, and it's like they're cherry picking the best. That's oh, yes, yeah, 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 they really, really are, yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, they're they're pulling in the best across the board, aren't they? The best director, the best special effects, you know, um, and the best actors. But what about anthology series? As now, I, you know, when you first said this, I was like, "What the fuck are we going to talk about? This is an anthology show, so there's no themes, there's no running character arcs. Then, like, what the hell do you talk about with this thing? Are there other anthology shows?" That you've that you've watched and enjoyed, or is this sort of like a, a unique example? But off the top of my head, I can't really think of any ones I loved. I mean, I I, I watched. Twilight I, Zone. Um, say again. Twilight Zone, stuff like that. Oh yeah, and you know, Eerie Indiana. I kind of watched, and you know, I've watched you know, Hammer House of Horror and stuff. Um, I never liked. Um, I always found that you know, Roald Dahl's Tales of the Unexpected a bit weird and disturbing as a kid, and yeah. Um, I remember watching. I remember watching uh, Freddy's New Nightmares on, you know, back in the day as well. Um, but no, no, yeah, yeah, he had a he had a show <laughs> explaining a lot about you know the things you watched as a child. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember you know we watched Robocop at like way too young. Um, but yeah, um, no, I, I, um, uh, yeah, no, I can't really think off the top of my head. I mean, I, I don't even consider this an anthology show simply because I just I don't really think of it in term, in any, any other context than being it is what it is. I mean, I mean, just being a series of episodes with a very different story each time. Obviously, it has the main premise, doesn't it, of the guy telling the story. 
but it, it's not like a, a regular television show isn't it? with a core group of regulars no and- oh 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 hang on yeah um there are equivalents to this did you ever watch uh grim tales with rick mail no oh, that was amazing that was from like the again around this period another one i loved it was a uh, it was rick mail in an armchair with um ostrich legs so not unlike <laughs> baba, Yaga, baba yaga's house and it was rick mail at, at his at his height uh, t- telling grim fairy tales but in a very very oh. rick way well, we'll do that next time, shall we? <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, that's definitely worth. It. That's definitely Same worth sort it. of thing, though. Yeah, that's like yeah, but way more, way more budget, way more poking your nose and flicking it at the camera. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. a bit more. Yeah, it, was brutal. it was Rick with very mussy hair in a shabby dressing gown, in a in a in an armchair with wings and legs. Ostrich yeah. legs. Ostrich legs and ostrich wings, I believe. Oh, yeah. that does sound incredible. <laughs> it was, oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. I think you can still find episodes on YouTube if you're curious. But uh, again, that was one of those other kind of artifacts from this period that uh, I'm, you know, an old man getting nostalgic. But there is, there was something quite special, or just you know, fleeting about. You will only watch this if you manage to catch it on broadcast, and otherwise, it's just lost in the ether unless the tv gods deign to repeat it you know so the, the you know that period had that going for it somehow well of all the tv shows that people have chosen panda's direction and there's sort of been a I've, I've got 10 lined up initially and five of them i know really well buffy the x-files things like that and five of them i don't really I even never heard of or i don't know much about mad men someone's chosen a uh, press gang was one as well this was my biggest surprise, not only because I'd never heard of it, but just because of how bloody good it was. You know, like I watched the first one, and I, got, I went into it going, thinking, "Oh dear, this is going to be a bit odd and a bit, a bit." <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and then I'm assaulted with all these incredible images and this really fabulous way of telling a story. So I want to say thank you because. This, this... Oh no! Yeah, you're welcome. I'm just, I'm, I'm so glad you discovered it, and that Mark actually had it on your shelf. Mm. So you know, that's that's brilliant. Well, why don't you tell everybody then the five episodes that you have chosen for us to watch? Okay, uh, I can't remember exactly which one they were, but okay, I think it, I think it, the two we're going to do today mm. are the Soldier and Death, and Fear Not. Um, what are the others we're doing? Because oh, they're you're asking me. Hang on. <laughs> okay. Oh, we edit around this bit. Hang on. <laughs> I've got the list here. <laughs> you definitely sent me the list. The hard part was really it was choosing which ones not to do was the tricky bit. Uh, we're doing most of them, aren't we? we? We are doing most of them. We're doing the Heartless Giant. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Right, okay. I'll cut in. <laughs> How many are there? Seven or eight? Seven or eight? Okay. So, um, you've chosen six episodes of the eight. <laughs> so, you've only excluded two. I feel a bit sorry for those two now. But so what... I know, me too, me too. Now, I'm going to ask, I'm basically going to ask you to just give me uh, a very short very short reason because obviously we're going to go into a lot more depth in the commentaries themselves as to why these ones have been chosen so the soldier and death 
The Soldier in Death um, is usually the one that's shown first. Uh, it stars the late great Bob Peck, and this one has a uh, a gaggle of red devils in it. Um, <laughs> just brilliant, brilliant creations of uh, Jim Henson's Creature Workshop, and so the, there was no way in hell that uh, I could not have picked that one. I think I think when those puppets, those uh, devils are all around it in the castle, that might be some of the best puppetry I've ever seen. It's made, yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing, yeah. And they're gambling. Oh, oh well, we'll get there. Um, okay, fear not. Fear not. Um, based on a Russian, no, no, no. It's based on a, uh, I think it's a, I think it's based on a German folk tale. Uh, stars Brees Dinsdale as. Uh, as fear not and uh, it's a charming little story but um recent performance is just so charming and wide-eyed innocent and endearing um that yeah again uh, his his performance i think is why uh yeah I, why i couldn't let that one go He's, I think wide-eyed, innocent uh, sort of acting that can be really bloody annoying, you know, in other things. And he's not at all. He's just glorious. And uh, the the lovely, simple premise of this guy called Fear Not, who basically is never afraid, and he just wants to shudder just once. <laughs> so it goes through all these scary trials to get there. And the, the, the moral of the story, which I won't spoil here, is marvellous. What about the Three Ravens? Three ravens. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look it up. This is all. This is all. You know. Well, what about Slap, Slap Sorrow then? I can't remember that one either. Off the top of my head. Oh, uh, Rob, you let me down. Oh, no, no, no. What's going on? Well, yeah. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Sorry, so refreshing my memory now. It's fine. One sec. The... You will definitely want to cut this. <laughs> right, okay. Okay, look, child. Uh, it's really good. Short story. That's my hedgehog. Three rooms, six based on six swans. Oh, that's some with Jolly Richardson, Randa. Yeah, three ravens is Jolly Richardson, Randa Richardson, Jonathan Price. Sap Sorrow is. Awesome with Alison Dudian, isn't it? Yeah. Um, is she the, giant the, the hideous matted hair? Is that that one? Can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I remember when we get to them. This is maybe it's not the best question to ask me because my answer is going to be because uh, it's good. Yeah. Because yeah. it's good. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. That's a good answer, you know. That's a good answer. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, Oh, maybe I'll remove that question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably best, probably best, yeah. Well, well, we can get to them, we can get to them. Rob, would you care to uh, take my hand and escort me to the fire? Well, yeah, of, of, of course, of course. Um, you can you can take the chair, I'll, I'll sit on the floor, it's fine. I've got, yeah. a, little dog, <laughs> I've got a little dog biscuit here, don't worry. Oh, well, as, as, as long as you feed me, yeah, oh. it's, it's all good, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's only a word. All right, let's skip into 